0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Joe Lichty. I'm Professor of Peace, Justice, and Conflict Studies. And it's my pleasure this morning to introduce both the C. Henry Smith Peace Lecture and the lecturers, Jan Bender Shetler and Dawit Kebada. Uh First, C. Henry Smith. He was an outstanding, groundbreaking Mennonite historian who taught at Goshen College a century ago, from 1908 to 1913, and then at Bluffton College from 1913 to 1946. He established a trust, which GC benefits from in a variety of ways, and all of them related to peace. There is extra money for peace-related books in many disciplines for the library, money for peace-related activities, for the peace oratorical contest for students, and so on. Since 1975, one of these benefits has been an annual C. Henry Smith Peace Lectureship, uh, in which one award per year is granted to a professor at a Mennonite school, uh, usually Goshen or Bluffton, to do peace-related research. That award has done a lot to stimulate research that might otherwise have been impossible, and since it's an introduction, the list of lecturers has been distinguished and the topics innovative, and certainly none more so than today. Um, Our lecturers for today, Jan Bender Shetler and Dawit Kebada. Jan is professor of history here at Goshen and studying Ethiopia brings together several themes from her personal and professional life. Jan and her husband Peter uh, worked in Ethiopia for Mennonite Central Committee from 1980 to 1983 and they have maintained strong ties ever since, including leading uh, an Ethiopia SST unit in 2005. After Ethiopia, uh, um, Jan and Pete stayed on in Africa, moving to Tanzania. So when they returned to the United States in 1990 and eventually got tired of farming in remotest Southwest Colorado, Jan decided to build on her Africa experience by doing a PhD in African history. She has won several prestigious research fellowships to continue her work and she is widely published in the field. For Dawit, on the other hand, studying Ethiopia is studying home. Growing up in Ethiopia, Dawit knew of Goshen College because his uncle, Bizrat Jemane uh, had studied here in the late 1970s. And then Dawit himself became a graduate of Goshen College with a degree in Peace, Justice, and Conflict Studies in 2007. The summer before that, summer of 2006, Dawit was awarded a Maple Scholars Research Fellowship to work with Jan on the topic we will hear about today, Christian Muslim relations in Ethiopia. Dawit has pursued several strands of work and study since graduating, and he's currently pursuing a master's degree in public affairs with a concentration in nonprofit organizations. Throughout these three years since his graduation, however, uh, Dawit has continued his collaboration with Jan, and we are delighted that we have a chance to hear something of the fruits of their research together. So please join me in welcoming Jan and Dawit as they talk to us about building peaceful relations between Muslims and Christians.
1: Thank you very much it's so it's such a great pleasure to be here uh do we have some pictures up there (laughs) it's a great pleasure to be here and to be able to share some of this work that we've been doing Uh, i especially want to thank the smith family and the committee for this opportunity because it really did facilitate work that would not have otherwise been been possible. So we thank you for that. As you can see, we're talking about Muslim-Christian relations in Ethiopia. And this is particularly an urgent topic, given the, the current wars that we're fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq, and given the war on terror, and all of the, the ways that we're trying to understand uh, relations within, in our own communities with Muslims. Oh, that's much better. Thank you. Um, What we want to tell you, though, we find exciting because it's a story of hope. It's a story of people at the grassroots level, everyday people, who have built a culture of peace over more than a 1,000 years. This isn't the typical story that you might have heard of Africa where things seem overwhelming and intractable and uh, unsolvable. This is rather the story of things that work. It's about a place... um, on the eastern side of Ethiopia, the uh, uh, city of Harar, and it's also especially important to us because it's around this city of Harar where the first Mennonite missions went to Ethiopia, and the Messer de Christos Church, which is the Mennonite-related church in Ethiopia, had its origins, and we're going to talk about both of these pieces today. Uh, our research began, as Joe said, in 2006 with the Maple Scholars Project, uh, it has led us over two different summers. Each of us went back separately and did research uh, in Ethiopia over the summers. We've done over 85 interviews between us. Um, and so we have a lot of material that we want to try to, to work with today. We first, our first idea to, was to um, try to work with uh, the theory of political scientist Ashutosh Varshni who looks at conflict between Muslims and Hindus in India. And his idea was that if you really want to find out the roots of peace, then we shouldn't study conflict, we should study peace. When does it work? Where do people actually uh, put this foundation together? And so he studied cities in India which were were violent and cities in India which were peaceful and tried to see what the difference was. And his theory says that because all of these uh, cities are in one country, it's not about government policy because government policy is the same everywhere. But it's about grassroots associations. It's about the way that people form clubs, societies over the boundaries of Uh, religion. So Muslims and Hindus in the same religious organizations. And so we wanted to test that theory and see if it would work for Ethiopia. And that's what we sort of set out to do. Um, And especially we found that uh, interesting in Ethiopia because of the long-term possibilities for peace there. So let me give you a little background. Uh, I know many of you probably don't know a lot about Ethiopia, and so I'll give you a, a short background before we start out on uh, religious relationships in Ethiopia. Ethiopia became an Orthodox Christian state in about 300 AD and, had, and the, the ties between church and state have been very strong since then. Amhara, Ethnicity defined um, the center of that state, and so often Amhara and Orthodox identity come together. However, uh, Islam has also been in Ethiopia for a very long time. In fact, during the time of the prophet Muhammad, some uh, refugees left the Arabian Peninsula and came to Ethiopia seeking refuge. And Ethiopia has been populated by Muslims ever since. And over that time, they have built this basis of um, peace and tolerance together. However, that is not to say that they're not tensions. And Muslims, even in Ethiopia today, told us and would tell you that that this has not always been uh, good, that they have felt like aliens, they felt like a minority within their own country. They were not able to own land, to have political um, parties, to celebrate their own holidays, uh, to be part of the military. And so they were relegated to trade and to artisanship, which is among Orthodox was the jobs they were, that were not respected among them. Um, so, so there has been some tension under there, uh, however, there has been, uh, despite that, building up a basically a a peaceful situation since then. The time that we started looking, that we would have expected the lid to blow off of this, would have been in 1991 when the communist government fell. As you know, when the communist government fell in the USSR, um, lots of ethnic and religious conflict broke out. So we expected to find it here as well, and our research looked at the post-1991 period in particular. And we found that in fact, Ethiopia has kept things together fairly well. Uh, but recently, there's been more outbreaks of um, conflict around the global fundamentalism that is reaching Ethiopia, and many wonder if peace can continue. And so part of the urgency of our work was trying to look at this before things change too much. And so we uh, did, decided to do one case study if you see on the map, if I can get this to work. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, if you see on the eastern part of Ethiopia, there's the city of Harar, and that is the city that that we decided to do the case study on, and then also to look at the Mrestagin Christos Church. Now, today... Uh, Because of lack of time, we're going to mostly talk about the Harar case study, but we'd like to entice you to come tomorrow night where we're going to talk mostly about the MKC part of our research. Um, So what we decided to do, rather than give you a kind of theoretical uh, academic analysis, what we'd like to do is more give you lessons that we think we're learning from both the Harar part as well as from the uh, MKC part. And, and these are the lessons that we learned, which seem maybe sort of simple on the outside, but I hope you'll see uh, the profound importance of them. So we want to go through those on Harar and then just give you a little teaser on the MKC part, hoping that you'll will join us again uh, tomorrow night to, to talk about this. And we hope that you'll be thinking about what this can actually teach you. that This is not about a place far away, but it's something that we might actually learn from it together. So what we're gonna talk about today is the, is the city of Harar. This is a walled city. Uh, this is a look at Harar, and you might be able to distinguish the wall all the way around the city. Uh, the city was founded in about 1000 uh, AD, so it's a very old city. It's a Muslim trading city. It's a city that is known for Islamic uh, learning and scholarship, bookbinding. Um, it's a city that's about 100,000 people today and many outside the wall now because it's expanded, but within the wall maybe 30,000 people. has had a mixed ethnic and religious background for a very long time. In fact, the um, myth of the founding father of Harar, St. Abadir, who came from the Arabian Peninsula in 1000 A.D., uh, brought together all of the warring peoples and they founded the city as a city of peace, uh, which it exists to today. Uh, as Harar is also called the City of Saints. There are 82 mosques in the city and 103 shrines in the city, and we'll talk about those shrines to the Sufi saints. Uh, you might be able to distinguish in that some minarets sticking out of those mosques, but there's also an a Orthodox church right in the middle of the city. The Ethiopian empire conquered Harar in uh, just a little over a hundred years ago, and from that time on, it was corp- incorporated into the Ethiopian empire. So Dawit will go on with the first lesson.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, One of the most important lessons that we can learn from Harar, according to our research, that we have found is, despite tensions and differences, that people could coexist. And Harar is a remarkable city in that case. And recognition of the history of Harar, in addition to its place as a the city of peaceful coexistence and tolerance between the two communities, at least for the last 120 years, UNESCO in 2003 awarded Harar as a city of peace, and as you would imagine, uh, people are very proud of that heritage. Harar is also a very popular destination for travelers uh, coming to visit Ethiopia. And if you travel in Harar today, I mean, and look at the geographic outlay of Harar and how the, the city is laid out, there is a remarkable interaction. There are five gates originally established, and depending on each gate would serve a certain community to come and go out into the city. Historically, that was the purpose. And today, you have influx of different religious and social groups coming and going out into the city of Harar. And it's a very well-integrated city. And some of the streets are so narrow in Harar. And in fact, there is one street where two people to walk have to squeeze through. And they call it the uh, street of reconciliation. So you have that symbolism, and people uh, living in that kind of coexistence for well over a century. And traveling into individual compounds in Harar, virtually during our research, two independent researchers, Janine and I did, there wasn't any part of a city that you would call exclusively Islamic or Christians. Almost all of them are well integrated, although predominantly the historic the uh, world town of Harwar is Islamic, and outside of the world town, Orthodox Christians live. Every neighborhood you have an integration of families living together, and you have quite a number of compounds in which you have individual houses, people renting and living together and interacting on a daily basis. So that would create a kind of a communication area on a daily basis, on everyday engagement between the two communities. And then you have uh, another important area of engagement between the two communities in Harar is wedding. Almost everyone we interviewed in Harar knew somebody, one of their relatives or friends married to to the other religions, so interreligious marriages, another important area of engagement between the two communities, and here you can see a wedding picture uh, in which you have a Muslim man and six of his best men are from the Orthodox traditions. And important feature in the wedding is also the tradition of preparing a mate for Christians and Muslims because the Ox in Ethiopian tradition is slaughtered differently for a Christian as opposed to the Muslims. So if you invite Muslims to your neighbor or if you invite Christians to a wedding, you would prepare a separate meat for both of them. And that would show you uh, that kind of hospitality and accommodation between the two communities. And then another famous <coughs> ritual, social ritual in Harar is chat or the birja ceremony. Jat is a mind stimulant. It's a kind of leaf that people would chew. Uh, There's a popular phrase in her, they say, to kill time. But in fact, it would serve a greater social purpose and form of communication. And you have all age groups from all religious backgrounds coming and chewing together and discussing different topics, politics, education, social affairs, are some of the topics discussed. And we think that would contribute uh, important uh, to the peace, uh, coexistence, and tolerance between the two communities in Harar. And then, how history is remembered in Harar. As John mentioned, Harar was brought and re-annexed into the Ethiopian empire in 1887, and since then, you have on the right side an orthodox church dedicated to the redeemer of the world, but it was a site once that had been occupied by an important mosque that was demolished by Ethiopian conquerors, and then they rebuilt a Christian church there, and right outside of the Orthodox church, you have a memorial to commemorate uh, the famous battle that the Christians won in 1887, and you have the two contrasts. On one side, you have a living testimony of the Orthodox conquest, as symbolized by the church. On the other hand, you have a modern construction and monument to commemorate the battle, that the Muslims are trying to remember. And then this is a statue of Ras Makonnen, the father of Emperor Haile Selassie, who was a conqueror of Harar in 1887. And this is remembered by Christians, the Orthodox Christians in Harar, as they remember their glorious days in the past. And you you have these different symbolisms and representations remembered by the two communities. And then another area is how history is remembered by the Muslim community, the Harari community in particular in Iraq, who are the minority today. And if you see the red floor and the red color, that would represent the Battle of Chalanko in 1887, in which the Muslims lost uh, to the Christians. And then on the other side, you can see a Muslim woman pointing out the fringes of a garment, a traditional Ethiopian garment, and the red border would be to remember again the bloodshed that Muslims shared at the Battle of Jalanko in 1887. So you have this kind of different m- memories of history and yet, at the same time, recognized by UNESCO in 2003 as a city of peaceful coexistence and tolerance for the last 120 years. Okay, thank
1: you. Um, the second lesson, then, is that if this foundation, which is built of peace, is strong, it can withstand some turbulence. And we were looking in particular in the post-1991 period, did violence break out? And there was one uh, violent episode in Harar since 1991. It happened in 2001. It was a riot that broke out around the celebration of Epiphany, or what's called Timket, in Ethiopia. And depending on how you count, uh, three to five deaths or eight to 50 injuries that happened at that point. And so for us, this was an important test case. What happened and how does it relate to the foundation that we were seeing? First, you have to understand what Tim Kett is. Tim Kett is the celebration of Epiphany in January and it's when the Orthodox churches, every Orthodox church has a representation of the Ark of the Covenant. And those arks are taken out into the streets and there are beautiful processions, drumming, dancing, singing, as you take the the ark out and you take it to a field where people spend the night and the ark stays there overnight. There's dancing and drumming throughout the night and then the next morning, they take it back into the church again, but there's a long procession around it. Um, But what happened in Harar in 2001 Uh, happened in a very particular way. There were two churches who who were joined together in their celebration. They were outside of the walled city and going down the main road that enters into the city. And they came to a crossroads, and at that crossroads, one church goes in one direction, the other church goes in the other direction. And so they stopped at the crossroads there to sing and dance, and there are thousands of people around this procession. Well, it just so happened that the year before that a mosque was built on the very corner of that crossroads. And it wasn't just any mosque, but it was a large mosque which had a lot of fundamentalist influence on it, uh, even Wahhabi influence from Saudi Arabia. It tended to be popularized by young, radical Oromo, and that is the other ethnic group that tended to be the more lower-class ethnic group of the city who tended to go there. Not only that, but since it was such a new mosque, the wall had not been built, and so as the crowds came up, they spilled out into the very yard of the mosque and even up onto the porch of the mosque. And not only was this happening in the courtyard of the mosque, but it was Friday, which is the Muslim day of prayer, and it was noon, which is the time that the prayers start. And so when this happened, we're not, we talked to lots of people about what happened. Uh, we presume that as the uh, people spilled up onto the porch, young people came out to see what was going on, that fists were thrown and rocks were thrown, and soon it broke out into a riot. At some point, some guns were fired. The army stepped in. The army also fired some guns and killed some of the people and dispersed the crowds, but not before another group who had heard that Christians were destroying the mosque had started marching into the city. But those were also dispersed, and no more rioting happened, not that night, not the next day, not the following day. And so what's even more important to us than the fact that this riot happened was that it was stopped, and we believe that, that although the government played an important role by stepping in, that it doesn't matter how many guns and how many soldiers you have, if people are prone to rioting, they will riot whatever kind of force you bring to it. And this didn't happen. And from our research, we talked to lots of people who said that night, The elders from many of these associations were out in their neighborhoods. People went back to the compounds where they had Christian and Muslim friends. They talked. Rumors were squelched. People heard about what had really happened. And the lid was kept down. People were kept calm. And later, the the government called in church leaders, Muslim leaders from the capital city. They had more conversations. And they uh, all agreed on how to keep the peace. And so we think this is a beautiful example of how, in fact, this associational work uh, life works, even if there are conflicts that break out.
2: The third lesson from Harvard would be how peace is m- maintained. How, John mentioned the incident in 2001 at the celebration of the Ethiopian Epiphany. So what followed was. Uh, a ground up uh, maintenance of peace between the two uh, communities. And here we will look at some of the formal associational link between the two communities in Harar, which are really important for the foundation of peace in the city. You have the two communities and then at the same time you have a number of shrines. As John mentioned at the beginning of our presentation, Harar is also known as the city of saints for the Muslims, it's also the city of saints for the Orthodox Christians. You have a number of shrines covering all over the city that both communities mutually would would attend. Despite their theological differences, you have some areas like the famed place Abadir, who is the founder of our Muslim saint, but attended mutually by Orthodox Christians and Muslims. They would go there Pray under the same roof, pay their respects, would ask for offerings usually, and would, when, offering, when their favor is fulfilled, they would go back and offer, offer offerings to the poor and to Abadir, to the saint. So you have the tradition of holy water, you have the Catholic shrine, and an important Muslim shrine. Another important area of engagement would be trade, that you have market which with their own specializations, predominantly you have the Christians providing grains and spices into the market, and then you have the Muslim traders the are almost coming to the city and interacting with the Christians on a daily basis, and that creates, creates a very good area of communication between the two communities in Harwar. And then you have the associations, which are our focus. The two important associations, burial, mutual aid associations in Harar, are the Afocha and the Edder. and we have identified a number of them. The Afocha appear to be exclusively Islamic in, in terms of membership, but in terms of engagement, after a person dies, The Christians would go and visit. They may not necessarily participate in the ritual that the Muslims would perform and they may not be a member of that organization formally, but they would go to that particular individual at the time of their mourning and would pay their respect. And you have the which is a Christian mutual aid association, but it's not exclusively Christian, that Muslims in a number of cases that we have identified could be part and parcel of that uh, link. And recently they have also formed a joint committee with the help of a local non-governmental organizations to fight against HIV, which is one of the greatest dangers, as you would know, Africa is facing these days. But our interest goes well beyond treating these uh, associations as mutual, uh, I mean, funeral associations, because some of the most important leadership at the time of the crisis in 2001 came from the very associations. They may be funeral associations in name, but those people are community leaders, religious leaders, respected leaders, who came together at the time of tension and crisis. And then you have the weddings and the women association. There are various forms of associations in addition to the mutual aid association. The women's associations are always well known and famous for its basketry, and also a recent phenomenon in Harar with the help of a local NGO, non-governmental organization is the Interfaith uh, Dialogue between the two communities.
1: Um, The last lesson is one that perhaps uh, many liberal-minded people might find a bit surprising. Maybe we think that if people have such a great uh, history of learning to live together, they probably have downplayed their religious convictions. But in fact, what we found, was that all of the people that we talk to are very pious and devout within their own faith. These are not people for whom faith is um, optional or that they they can negotiate on very many issues. In fact, whether you're Muslim or whether you're Christian is immediately, visibly obvious to anyone on the street. They could say, this one's Christian, this one's Muslim. This is apparent in your dress, in your hairstyle, in the tattoos that you wear, in your occupation, in whether you worship on Friday or Sunday, on uh, whether you drink coffee or whether you chew chat, on whether you, um, what what your name is, your very name uh, gives away whether you're Muslim or Christian. And so people don't hide their identities and they very uh, proudly put them out there. Uh, Not only are religious identities obvious, but ethnic identities are also very obvious. The Harari, were the original peoples within the wall. Uh, They are Muslim, but they also have a very particular Harari identity. They tend to be the more upper class, the commercially oriented people, whereas the Oromo are those who lived in the surrounding rural areas and tend to be lower class. And so the, the conflict between Oromo and Harari, even though they're both Muslim, tend to, tend to break up the unity of the Muslim block because there's significant class conflict between them. And of course, the Somali border is very close, and Somalis have been in and out of this area for a very long time as well. Uh, the, the, within Islam itself, there's also a number of different ways of practicing Islam, which tend to make this less of a unified block. Um, the original Islam in Ethiopia was more of a Sufi Islam practiced by the Harari, which revolves around the s- shrines and the saints that you saw. It's much more open, flexible, a much more folk kind of Islam. Whereas the new kind of Islam, the more fundamentalist Wahhabi version is being brought Uh, from Saudi Arabia and is mainly populated by the Oromo or the lower class ethnic group and so this again brings significant tensions. The uh, Islamic Council is trying hard to uh, bring together these groups and to keep everyone together. Although every one of these groups that we talked to said, if you want to find the basis for peace, you look within your own tradition. That is where peace comes from. It's digging deeper into your own faith background rather than uh, de-emphasizing it. So they were very clear about uh, peace coming from religious conviction. Uh, within Christians, although the the country is uh, dominantly Orthodox, uh, which is a Coptic faith uh, connected to Egypt, there are also other forms of Christianity. The Catholics have been in Harar since before the Ethiopian uh, uh, your, the Ethiopian Empire incorporated Harar. The uh, other group which is growing one is the Evangelical Protestants or sometimes called Pentecostals or Pentes for short. And the Mestre de Christos is one of the Pente groups. Um, what was interesting too in this, and, there, and there's considerable tension between the various Christian groups, some would even say that the Pentes are closer to the Wahhabis than they are to the Orthodox because they both have these strong religious convictions. Uh, and so for all of those uh, reasons, and, and both the Christians also told us that peace comes from within their own faith in uh, being able to, to work with other people but in uh, finding peace within your own faith tradition. Um, so this is what we found out about in Harar, and, and our, our work was looking at this associational life which has kept peace in Harar even when there's conflict and has... Um, has brought people together. What we are The other part of our research, which we're going to talk about more tomorrow night, is the Messerci Christos Church, which is the Mennonite-related church in Ethiopia. Um, the missionaries first came to the rural areas around Harar, to Deder and Bedeno, which are two villages outside of Harar in the 1950s, where they estab- eventually established a Mennonite-related church. Some of the early converts there came to the hospitals and schools, and especially to get educations in the schools. Now, in these rural areas, there were predominantly Muslim, but an Amhara Orthodox minority, and many of the converts came from that Amhara Orthodox background. Um, The church spread to many other cities, including Harar. And um, about sometime in the 1960s, there was a Pentecostal revival throughout Ethiopia, not only among the the Mennonite-related, which made the church much more Pentecostal than its missionaries. Um, The church got independence between 1959 and 1965 and became the Meserti Christos Church, which is the foundation of Christ Church. Uh, the, The revolution came to Ethiopia in 1974 in which many churches experienced persecution. The Messer de Christos church was closed by the government in 1983. Its leadership was imprisoned. Many, many people experienced persecution in prison, and the church went underground, began meeting in homes. When the church went underground, there was about 6,000 Messer de Christos members. Uh, when it was open again in 1991, when the communist government fell, it had grown to 100,000 people. Today it's 140 or 50,000 people, and it's one of the largest Mennonite churches in the world. Um, and we think that the same lessons that we talked about in Harar apply to that church in Ethiopia. And Dawi's just going to give you a little, a little uh, teaser to help, hope that you come tomorrow night to show you uh, what we might talk about with uh, the Messer de Christos church.
2: All right, tomorrow uh, it's going to be at 7.30 at Art 28, uh, building uh, our presentation. And in that presentation, we will be sharing narratives and stories from MEKC members in Ethiopia. Uh, and those stories will revolve around some of the lessons that we have mentioned. Uh, like in the first instance, we have stories of redemptions and the stories of wonderful cooperations from some of the earliest Mennonite converts in Ethiopia during their childhood, growing up in a Muslim, a predominantly Muslim community, and how those stories shaped their, their, their way of thinking and worldview and where those people are today. And this is some of the earliest constructions uh, of the Mennonite development project in Ethiopia. You have the school and the hospital. And then the second lesson would be, despite those wonderful corporations, particularly in the time of Ayla Selassie, between the two communities, times change, and Ethiopia changed in a very dramatic way in 1991, in which uh, the country began to implement what's known as ethnic federalism, dividing the country along ethnic boundaries and tensions surfaced here and there and that tested the endurance and the tolerance built over the centuries. And those Mennonites again shared their experiences that they come from both from the Christian and the Muslim background, how that endurance, that friendship was tested to, it, 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 to its limit. And also we have some redemptive narrative uh, among uh, pain, so much pain and suffering at the same time. And then also, presently, the Mennonite Church is extremely well positioned in Ethiopia being one of um, the peacemakers, and they have started their own conflict resolution programs. And I think <clears throat> it's the first uh, church which started its own curriculum teaching peace studies as a, field, as a discipline in Ethiopia, and we will share some of the most creative ways in which they are trying to approach peacemaking in among some regions in Ethiopia, particularly there is one area in Ethiopia to the north of the capital city which is very isolated, exclusively Christians, in which the MKC members in Ethiopia are trying to approach by using the peasant associations and sharing their manual in a very creative way and teaching peacemaking, while at the same time sharing the good news. And then finally, uh, We have also peacemaking uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they are giving up uh, sharing the good news, but they are doing that in a very different way now, in a least aggressive way, in a very respectful approach as opposed to the old ways. And you have a person-to-person relationship, particularly with the Islamic communities in Ethiopia, and we have a number of stories told by these Mennonites and... uh, We do hope to see you tomorrow and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow's presentations and thank you very much.